0: Three, we will finish this morning by the grace of God, and we will look forward to continuing about this theme of love and the power of it as we continue journeying through 1 Corinthians 13 next week. 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4. Read it with me, please, verse, starting in verse 4 all the way through verse number 8. Charity suffereth long, and is kind to Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity... Never faileth, Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful scripture. I pray that you would bless now the preaching of the word of God. Use it for your glory. Teach us. Lead us through scripture today. Help us, I pray, to decide to love like you love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. We have been looking at this thought of charity charity truly is the greatest thing this world desires to see it is pictured so beautifully through the power of the cross through the power of the death the burial and the resurrection of jesus christ no greater love was shown than what jesus christ did for us charity is love in action how do we know God loves us? Because he put his love to action and he died for us. He was buried for us and he rose again for us. Thank God for that. Charity is love in action. And like faith, we said, it is like a, or it is a moving love that is Christ-like. Charity is led by the Spirit of God and it is filled with God's grace. When we decide to love like God leads to love, God enables, gives us grace, supports us, if we can say it that way, to love like Christ so loves. What an incredible thing it is. And Why does he do so? Because charity comes from God. It is a love truly that comes from the heart of God, and it is truly centered on that which is best for the recipient, even if that involves self-sacrifice. And is that not what God did? What was best for all of us? Jesus Christ, being born a virgin, living on this earth for 33 and a half years, dying for us, dying for our sins, buried and risen again. And thank God that He, through charity, through His incredible action love, provided salvation's good news. This type of charity is truly powerful and impactful. It truly impacts its way into our heart, drives deep into our hearts, in a way in which resonates deeply within our soul. Nothing like it. It truly is love. We've been teaching a little bit about the practicality and the nature of love. Before we begin into verses or, uh, uh, chapter 13, and I want to do so this morning by giving you an illustration. A picture of this love. We've used some illustrations for characteristics of this love, but there's an incredible testimony of a woman who had this charity. Hold your place there in 1 Corinthians 13 and go back to Acts chapter 9 for just a moment and we'll come back to 1 Corinthians 13. In Acts chapter 9, look at verse number 36 with me, please. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha. This word Tabitha is an Aramaic word, which by interpretation into Greek is what? Called Dorcas. And so they both are interpretations or a name for a certain thing. And what is that? That word Aramaic, Tabitha, and the word Greek, uh, Dorcas, means the same thing, speaking of a gazelle or a doe. That's what it means. That's what Tabitha or Dorcas speaks of. Often in first century Christianity, and even still today, cultures would name an individual based upon characteristics of that person. You look through the Bible and you'll see Jacob, the Bible says, was a deceiver. And so rightly was his name, for Jacob was speaking of a deceiver. Truly, it is something that fits the characteristics. And as we look through Scripture here in just a moment, we will see that Tabitha, Dorcas, that gazelle or doe in which her, he, she was named from or was given an attribute of characteristics from, truly fits. You see, she was gentle. She remained in the shadows unless a deed demanded her to be visible. And yet she was protective and nurturing of those she was around. It's incredible. She was one who truly fit the characteristics of that in which she was called by. Tabitha, the Bible says, was a disciple. What does that mean, disciple? It means a follower of Christ. She followed Christ. She followed Jesus. Just like Peter, just like James and John and on and on. She was a disciple. She was a follower of Jesus Christ. She loved Christ and she loved the apostles' teaching. And she not only loved it, but she adopted it. She practiced it. She was led by it. Dorcas was a disciple. Tabitha was a disciple of Christ. And notice what the Bible says this woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. How do we know that Tabitha was a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ went about doing good. Not only was He our Savior, but He was one that led an example of good works, of doing that which is good, of doing that which is right. Jesus Christ had the perfect testimony. And Tabitha, or Dorcas, however, if you want to say it, the Aramaic Aramaic language or Greek language, but she saw this testimony as she followed Christ, and she likewise learned do good works to do that which is right to have a heart that was charitable giving of mercy and of compassion she was a woman who didn't want to or did not want to have the spotlight would rather remain in the shadows but like a doe or a gazelle would come out of the shadows and yea perform that good work which was needed and then retreat back into the shadows not to be seen. That was Tabitha. That was this woman's testimony. But notice what happens in verse number 37. And it came to pass in those days that she, Tabitha, was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Think about this for just a moment. This dear, this dear community, uh, these church people in, in Lydda, if I'm saying it correctly, I believe that's the pronunciation. Uh, you can correct me later, Brother Steve, if, 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 if I'm not saying it the uh, Hebrew way, but uh, uh, it truly was a time in which as she served the bible says she was sick she died and the bible tells us as they prepared for the funeral one had a thought hey there's peter peter's close by we've seen and heard some incredible things about what peter has had happen in his ministry maybe he could help in this situation or at least comfort our hearts and they run to go get peter hurry come here And Peter went, and notice what the Bible says in verse number 39. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping. Wait a minute. Tabitha is a lady. And yet all these widows are standing by, why? And showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. We don't know all of Dorcas's or Tabitha's talents, but apparently she could sew. Apparently she could work with clothing and with linen. And apparently she enjoyed using her skills, her talents. To be a blessing to those who were struggling and hurting. Saying goodbye to a husband. Saying goodbye to a spouse after years of marriage. Whether through persecution or whether through natural death. And the Bible teaches us that Dorcas made garments, made clothing for the widows and certainly others. And this was such a powerful and a thoughtful process among these first century Christians in Lydda that they came and they showed them to Peter and said, uh, and uh, uh, and I can only imagine the words, uh, that they testified of Dorcas or of Tabitha saying she would never want us to highlights what she has done for us but she made these things she helped us in a time of need she was a comfort to our hearts she was a blessing to our soul she performed that very gift of charity that very beautiful gift of godly love upon us and it impacted their hearts greatly it moved these people It moved these widows to come from their homes and to take what had been made and to show it signifying of the endearment that was upon their hearts because of the ministry of Dorcas, because of the ministry of this woman who was willing to show charity in a time of great heart and of great need. Her godly love for these people moved them. It inspired and challenged their hearts. It impacted them. That's what charity does. When we decide to follow God's love and to demonstrate it through charity, it impacts the heart. It moves the heart deeply. It has a work in the heart in which we could not do. All Dorcas did was sew some fabric together presented as a gift and yet god used those hands working with string working with fabric to impact a heart that could not be seen and yet it made a difference that's what charity does it takes something that we might look as something simple as something almost as this All I can do, but yet this is what God has led me to do. And he uses it to multiply an effect in one's heart that speaks deeply to the heart and soul. Charity is powerful. Charity impacts deeply the heart of others. To be a recipient of charity is a blessing. Others are looking for that love. We hear all the time about love. Unfortunately, the world sadly means a kind of love that is very selfish and self-serving, destructive and even hurtful and broken. But God says, I have a better way. God says, I have a better love that I want you to have, a better love that truly impacts and works in the heart in which nothing else can. It is something truly that brings meaning and power to one's heart and lives, opening the word, opening the door for people to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. There was a group of disciples. There was a group of Christians that rallied around Dorcas's death. And it was truly something that impacted that community in a powerful way. Her simple talent, God used to multiply to affect that community. Love impacts deeply. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please notice what the bible says as we journey through and let's just recap quickly here this morning i'm not going to repreach any of those uh, any of these points but i want us to be on the same page as we continue thinking about the context of charity the bible says in verse number four charity what suffereth long that means speaking of an enduring patience a patience that's willing to suffer, a patience that's willing to take things that even wrong us and work through those things with patience. The Bible says charity is kind. That word kind speaks of to become warm-hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, or sympathetic towards another. It is something which moves us to show a gracious love. It envieth not. In other words, it's not looking to try to take what someone has for but instead is happy and rejoices that God has brought an opportunity for someone that God has given someone an opportunity to enjoy whether it's an article, whether it's a a change in profession or whether it's an opportunity to serve in some way or whether it's maybe a new car or a new home, whatever it might be but it rejoices in the blessings of God instead of saying how can I take that from them. The Bible says it vaunteth not itself. In other words, it's not becoming boastful or exhibiting self-importance. It's not trying to turn others' eyes to me, but rather it's saying I want you to see what wonderful God we have. And I want you to enjoy what God has given the talent that he has used me to help and encourage you not puffed up it's not something that's filled with air it's not something in which we uh, 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 brag about oneself the bible says it doth not behave unseemly in other words it's appropriately behaved it knows how to act in different situations and if it enters into a new situation that it is not familiar with it learns how to act and it desires to be appropriate in every situation whether it's a funeral, whether it's a wedding, whether it's standing before an authority or a government official, or whether it's standing before the king, or whether it's meeting with a homeless, it is wanting to be appropriate in every situation and desires to learn to do so. Love seeketh not her own, the Bible says. In other words, it's not selfish. It's not looking for what I can get. It's looking to how I can serve. Is not easily provoked. In other words, it calms the heart of the waters that are stirred in our hearts, maybe to anger, maybe to bitterness, maybe to wrath. It is the one that calms our heart. It's not easily provoked. Love thinketh no evil. And last week we looked at that thought as that's an accounting term. In other words, it doesn't take a list of all the wrongs that have been against me and use those as a Power tool to say here is what you have done to me in the past, and because you've done this to me, I don't. Uh, I'm not going to do this, 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 this. No, no, no. It doesn't take an account. In other words, it simply dismisses. It doesn't remember the wrongs that have been done to us, but rather dismisses them. Forget, uh, forgives, and forgets, and does not keep account of the wrongs that we've suffered. In other words, everything is right. I've forgiven, I've forgotten. I don't know what you've done to me because I've forgotten it, just like Jesus has forgotten my sins. What a powerful, what a powerful love. Paul continues in verse number six. Let's, get, let, uh, let's finish this portion of scripture today. Notice what the Bible says in that first phrase there. Rejoiceth not in iniquity as we continue learning about charity we learn another aspect of charity that it doesn't rejoice in injustice that is what that word iniquity means it is the greek word adikai which means injustice or an unrighteousness now the context here is not speaking of just of iniquity or an injustice happening, but it is rather the penalty of that judgment, or of that injustice, or of that unrighteousness that is happening to someone that it is not going to rejoice over. What does that mean? That means when someone has something that hurts them come their way, something negative that happens to them, Something bad happens in one's life, and we think it is something that is deserving. They deserve that bad thing. They deserve that injustice. They deserve that penalty for wrong. They deserve it. Love does not rejoice in that. Love doesn't thank God that they have been hurt. Love, godly love, doesn't look and say, oh, I'm so happy that they are now suffering that penalty. Love doesn't look at and act like that. But rather, in a way, enters into that suffering and their heart hurts for them because of the consequence to their decisions. It doesn't say, oh, it's about time that person it. They deserve that for a long time. But rather their, hearts, their heart hurts because someone is having to suffer the consequences of iniquity. The consequences of sin. Whether it's in their life or a situation in which they have caused. But love, godly love, refuses to find satisfaction in the wrongdoing of other people. No matter who They are. Look at 2 Thessalonians with me, please. I want you to see the heart of Paul. 2 Thessalonians, look at chapter 2, please, with me. The Bible says, And then shall that wicked be revealed. He's now speaking of the time of the tribulation when the Antichrist will rise to power and, of course, with a one-world, a one-world government, a one-world pay system, is operating and fully implemented. And it's coming. Thank God we'll be gone before this verse. But you can see the heart of Paul through this. As he's speaking of this tribulation, when many people suffer hurt, notice what Paul says. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The context, the spirit of Paul is not of that of gloating of what's going to happen to those who are going through the tribulation period, whom... Humanly speaking, one would say, they deserve what they got. That's not Paul's spirit. Paul's not looking at this as that way. We'll see that in just a moment. Paul is relaying what is going to happen factually, as well as with a heart, breaking for those who will suffer loss, tragedy, death, and even damnation in hell. Paul isn't saying, oh, I'm so glad they're going to be in hell. That's not Paul's spirit. That's not love. Does not the Bible say God is not willing that any should perish? Paul had a heart that arguably, like David, was with the heart of God. He loved people. He did not want anyone to suffer in hell. He did not want anyone to suffer all the tragedies. He's relaying to the church in Thessalonica what is going to happen because they need to understand what is going to take place so people can be warned. And my friends, so often, if you're watching online or if you're sitting here this uh, this morning, as you think about these things that are coming, these tribulations these trials all these different areas that are will happen one day god doesn't say this because he's going to push one under his thumb and say i told you so now let me just simply blot you out and send you to hell because i'm excited about this that's not god's heart god relays it as a warning saying look don't go that way I don't want you to suffer those things. I don't want you to go there. They are coming, and sadly people will suffer those things. But a heart of God and the heart of Paul was not excited about this, but rather factual in warning, saying there is a time coming that is going to be tragic for many. But look what happens. Look at verse number 12 with me one more time that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and believe of the truth. Look at verse number 17 now. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work what was paul saying paul saying there's going to be difficulties that are going to come to many during the tribulation people are going to be uh, uh destroyed and it is going to be a very sad time but but you don't have to worry about don't want to do those things Why? Because as a child of God, God will redeem. God is going to take us to be with Him. We won't suffer those things and we have hope because of the blessed truth of Jesus Christ, of His good word and of His good work and let that comfort your heart that you are safe from those things. And yet, may our hearts be saddened because of the hurt that some will go through and ought that burden of our heart move us challenge us to do what to tell people the gospel of jesus christ i don't want you to suffer in hell i don't want you to go through the tribulation let me tell you of jesus christ That's why we live stream. That's why we tell people the gospel. That's why we pass out gospel tracts. That's why we have online digital media to help encourage people to come to the truth of Jesus Christ. Not because we are looking forward to people being in hell, but to warn people and say, don't go that way. You don't want to go that direction. There's a better way, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That's the heart. May we truly have that same heart in all areas of life. We mentioned Jacob a moment ago. Do you remember the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, wrestling with God all night? The Bible teaches us in verses number 31 and 32, And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh, Why did he hold upon his thigh? Because God touched his thigh and the sinew shrank. Jacob, Israel, named Israel now, would limp for the rest of his life because of that moment in which he wrestled with God. Because of some areas in which God would weaken him. And so he would limp. But watch the spirit of the children of Israel. Therefore, the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day. Because he, God, touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. The children of Israel decided to enter into that suffering with their father, Jacob. and said, we are going to deprive ourselves of that sinew, of that meat around the thigh of the animals in which we partake as a constant reminder of the suffering that our father had. That's the length of their charity for their father. That love that was willing to move them to action to enter into that suffering by not enjoying that meat, discarding that meat, because it was a constant reminder of Jacob's sufferings. That's the extent of where charity moves one to. It moves one to action. It doesn't gloat or is excited about the difficulties or suffering one enters into, but rather enters into that, doing so with great love. Look back at verse number 6 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with me once again. The Bible says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. That word truth there speaks of that which is certain most right, true. Love expresses itself in truth. It is glad when truth prevails. It does not cheat or deceive. It is that in which strives and is excited for the truth to go forward and it loves to know that the truth is truly being established and strengthened. The love of God God's great charity loves it when integrity and right works are performed and done. It rejoices when the truth of God's word is established. It doesn't look and say, oh, I wish the word of God wasn't there. I wish I wouldn't have said the word of God. or I wish they wouldn't have spoken the word of God. But every time that the truth of God is God's word is established, it rejoices the heart and it makes one Uh, rejoice in that thought that the word of God is going forward, that the truth is truly being acted upon. In essence, it enthusiastically endorses the word of God and it delights in the principles of scripture. Do you remember when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines? And as it was captured by the Philistines, they would then send it back to Israel And God brought it straight back to Israel, a sign to the Philistines, to the unsaved, that he is God and that he is for his people, Israel. And when it came to back to Israel and the Israelites saw it, what did they do? The truth of the Ark of the Covenant, that covenant between God and man. Did they simply begin to mourn and say, oh, I don't want to deal with this? Oh, this is too much for us. No, that's not what they said at all, is it? They took the very cart that it was delivered on and the very oxen that was pulling it and made an altar, a sacrifice there and used those very oxen as sacrifice worshiping god and there was a time of festivity a time of rejoicing they were ecstatic why that the truth of god had been established that the truth of god's covenant had once again be was affirmed and established in israel and it was a time of celebration it was a time of rejoicing and not of mourning i honestly don't understand christians that are bashful or dismayed that the Word of God is used. It is wonderful when it is used. What a wonderful thing it is that the Word of God goes forward. And godly love loves it and looks for ways to continue establishing and flourishing the truth of Scripture. It is seeking to establish itself in truth. Powerful thought. We've looked at 11 things. Last week, or uh, the first week, I spoke that there was 12 things. We're going to take this next verse, verse number 7, and we're going to combine it all in one, and we do so for a reason. Because as we look at this last thing, I believe we can take this last thought and we can subdivide it into these four characteristics what verse number 7 says. I'm going to call this, Love's convictions. These are things in which is convicting of love. It's something in which love decides to do and is willing to to further its steps on. It is that in which refines and uh, helps even direct our steps and direct our hearts and mind like a conviction would. Thus we call it love's conviction. So how does love direct our steps through this verse? Look at verse number seven with me. The Bible says, it beareth all things. That word beareth is the Greek word stego, which means to cover or to roof over. In other words, it is willing to cover Or overlook the downfalls in which one has fallen or one is being challenged thereby. It is willing to overlook those things. And to cover over those areas. You remember Noah? Noah built the ark, did he not? 120 years preached righteousness. God brought the animals into the ark and as God brought the animals into the ark the only people that joined him were his family for many days they were on that ark a building project that lasted 120 years (laughs) and God finished it the floods receded the land dried they got off the ark what did Noah do? He sacrificed. God gave the covenant of the rainbow, of God's promise not to flood the earth again. And that's the true meaning of the rainbow, by the way. The world's trying to take that away, but God had meant that bow in the sky to be a covenant between God and man that He is not going to flood this earth ever again. And He hasn't. But what did He do next? The Bible tells us he was a husbandman. He decided to work in vineyard. And after 120 years of building construction, and after being on an ark for many, many days with his family, he fell into a moment of sin and he got drunk off the very vine that he tended. So drunk that the Bible tells us that he lay naked. The Bible teaches us that he was discovered. Ham saw his father and told his two brothers, Shem and Japheth. And when they were told of Noah's state, their father's state, what did they do? They took a piece of cloth cloth, Went backwards, not looking at their father, and covered their father. Was it wrong for Noah to get drunk? Yes, it was. Was it wrong for him to lay in a state in which he was laying? Yes, it was. But what they do, they were willing to cover, bear their father, bearing all things. The, father, the brother that first found him, Ham, his response was shameful. His response was not right. And because of that, Noah blessed Shem and Japheth. Because of their love and kindness, even when their father was in the midst of sin, they were willing to be kind. They were willing to cover. Ham would be cursed because of his wrongdoing. I'm not speaking of covering sin that must be exposed. We think of our DBS and such and the horrid atrocities that some people have done in innocent ministries like this. It's wicked and vile. That is not to be covered. But when it comes to times in which someone is growing in grace and someone is struggling with sin, that sin does not necessarily need to be broadcast to everyone. Sometimes it's a moment of entering in a prayer. Sometimes it's a moment of encouraging and strengthening and allowing space for grace, space for people to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because thank God someone was patient with me. Thank God someone was patient with you. It was our wonderful Father, Jesus Christ, a Father through Jesus Christ, who wonderfully and lovingly showed mercy and grace even in those moments in which we succumbed to the temptation of sin. Thank God He was willing to be merciful to us and love is willing to bear. Love is willing to truly to encourage and to help one grow in the nurture and in the love of God. It is willing to bear it is willing to put a covering on when that is appropriate to do. This is something that the Holy Spirit of God is some, uh, we need to have his wisdom and his mind on to know when it's right to where things need to be uncovered like as we spoke of, of criminal behavior. But when there's moments in which one is succumbing and trying to get over a temptation, There are times where it is godly and even loving to bear all things. This takes wisdom. This takes knowing the Word of God. This is learning the conviction of the love of God. Secondly, notice Paul writes, Believeth all things. When we look at godly love, it is truly a love that is hopeful and believing and wanting to encourage and blossom, to help one grow and to bring forth fruit. That word believeth all things is not speaking of a gullibility. In other words, it's not gullible to just whatever someone says. Oh, I instantly believe it but it is rather ready to believe that which is best and put as good a construction as it can on an action in other words love is willing to give the benefit of the doubt in other words love is willing to be generous rather than censorious it is a love that is willing to see that which is good and flourishing in one's heart and life, and use that to encourage one to continue to bear fruit. Years ago, my grandmother had a peach tree in the back of her farmhouse. And that peach tree one year had such heavy peaches on one limb in particular that after a windstorm, that limb cracked right at the base of the trunk it was a main limb it was a large part of the tree and it split because of the weight of the fruit and because of the strength of the wind and my grandmother thought about simply cutting that limb off even though there was a lot of fruit on it that was not quite ready she thought about it she anticipated that was what was needed but my uncle, who loves to work in husbandry of that type of area, fruit trees and such, encouraged my grandmother to give it a chance. He said, I know we're going to have to take this limb off, but if, it can, if we can support it for this season, we can reap the f- harvest of the fruit off of that limb. And There was a lot of fruit on it and so they constructed a brace and some bracing a structure out of some timber put it under that limb and use some special wrap to go around that limb around the trunk of it so where it would still receive the sap from the areas that it could still receive sap from and still receive the nourishment from the root system of that tree and they nurtured it and cared for it and in the wind they would go out and they would tie extra pieces of rope to that limb to keep it from swaying and keep it from moving and keep it from breaking and sure enough They were able to support that limb for the rest of that season so when that fruit was full and ripe, it could be harvested. But it needed some support. It needed a assistance, if we can put it that way. It needed some love that was willing to look at what could be if it was encouraged, if it was strengthened for such a time. There are times when we interact with people, and my friends, when we interact with people, we always interact with broken people. All of us have areas in our life in which there are some limbs that are breaking. There are some areas that God wants to bear fruit, but there is a break. There is trouble. There is a struggle. There is a difficulty, and we are trying to Grace of God to bear fruit, and godly love comes and says, "If we can encourage, if we can bring some support, if we can add some timber, if we can keep that limb from from swaying, godly love looks to see that there can fruit still grow on that vine, fruit can still grow on that limb, fruit can still come through this. But we've got to encourage, we've got to help, we've got to support, we've got to believe all things." And that's what godly love looks to do. It looks to believe in that which is best in one and work to construct a way in order for love to bear its fruit in that way. God's word teaches us that his love believeth looks to give the benefit of the doubt to support the brokenness to bring forth fruit. Thirdly, the conviction of the love of God hopeth all things. Now, I want to shape a framework here. Please listen to me for just a moment. We all have all used the phraseology, I hope so. And often when we use it, how do we use it? We often use it with a thought that it may But I definitely have a plan B, and I definitely have a plan C, and probably a plan D, because even though I hope this is the way, it's not going to happen that way, probably. We hope so. In other words, we are somewhat positive, but there is a large part of us that says, this is not going to work out. We do so almost frivolously when we think of that hope. But that's not biblical hope. When the Bible speaks of biblical hope, it's not speaking of, oh, I hope this is going to bring forth salvation in my life, but, you know, in case it does and I'm going to do this, 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 this. That's, that's not hope. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is much stronger. Much, much stronger. Years ago, when I was uh, not even a teenager, I had a friend who loved to climb trees. Loved to climb trees. He could climb any tree as long as it had limbs on it. It didn't matter if it was 1,000 feet up in the air. I mean, he could find a way to get to that branch a 1,000 feet up. It was, it was miraculous how he could climb trees. And he would love to do it. We were approached one tree, and he looked at a limb that honestly was very thin, very small. And he said, Justin, I think I can get up to that limb, and I can walk all the way to the end of that limb, and I'll be okay. And I looked at him. I looked at that tree, and I said, um, "Really?" He says, "I'm going to do it." And I said, "Well, I I hope so. I hope you're right. I'm thinking I should call 911. I'm thinking I should uh, call the uh, 999 here in the UK, US, or, or UK." Not to U.S. yet, uh, and all these things, but God truly is. Uh, uh, God truly has given and blessed uh, uh, with a ambulance service to call, and I'm thinking this is going to be needed. I said, I hope so. And so what did he do? He climbs that tree, he gets on that limb, and he starts going out on that limb. And I look, and I'm thinking, I need to get my parents. This is going to be trouble. He goes, he walks all the way to it. All the way to the end. Turns around, walks all the way back. He hoped. I did not. What he hoped was right. What I hoped was different. And that's exactly the hope that the Bible teaches A hope that says I'm willing to take that step. I'm willing to walk. I'm willing to do that which is necessary and right. Biblical hope is not just something that I hope is going to come to fruition. But it is rather something that states I know I can go forward because I hope in my God. God godly hope is willing to believe that God is going to give grace to act in and through love number four hope endureth all things hope is convicted to endure that word endure means to remain under the load remain under the load what does that mean it is strength to bear uh, uh, a strength to this love that bears up courageously no matter what the suffering this is the kind of love that martyrs for christ have endured This is a kind of love that is willing to continue loving no matter the resistance, no matter the oppression that has come. It is willing to go forward no matter what is coming at it. It is willing to endure. It is willing to show and to demonstrate love even when there is resistance to show that love. Case in point, we look at the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a church that Paul loved. Paul loved these people. He loved them. He spent 18 months with them personally, and he would spend more time with them in the future from this letter. He wrote multiple letters to them. He loved them. He wanted the best for them. And the Bible teaches us that as he loved them, what did they do? They depreciated him and listened to cult leaders instead of the truth in which Paul was trying to help them with, they began to say unkind and untrue things about him. They resisted his authority. Although he had, uh, God had given him the apostleship the Bible teaches and had led many of them to Christ, they still choose and chose to go a different direction. But what did Paul choose to do? Paul chose to love them. Paul chose to write letters to them. Paul chose to uh, send others to talk with them and to help them. You see, Paul had an enduring love, and the church in Corinth would eventually become a thriving, healthy church. This church in Corinth, as many problems as we see, would become an awesome church. It would become a church that was going forward with the gospel. God would use this church to impact Corinth greatly for the word of God. It was a powerful church that had some amazing ministry in years ahead, but Paul had to endure. Paul had to have a love that was enduring in this church, enduring to this ministry, because God would bear much fruit there, but God needed to send a man named Paul who would love these people with some godly love, would endure all things. The conviction of love is willing to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure in all things. It's willing to show love even if that love is rejected because we go to verse number 8, and we end with this. Charity never faileth. Several context here. That word faileth, as we look at the context of Scripture, speaks of never stopping, never ending, is always productive. It's always beneficial. It is always multiplying. The charity of God chooses not to cease. Maybe you're watching this morning online, and as you're watching, you know we've been by your home multitudes of times, encouraging with the gospel, encouraging you with scripture, encouraging you to worship with the family of God that God has built and established here. And maybe that response has been negative. Maybe it's been even rejected. But we keep coming. (laughs) We keep asking. We keep loving. Why do we do that? Because until someone says, don't you ever come to my door again? Don't you ever talk to me again? We're going to keep talking. We're going to keep going. Why? Because charity doesn't end. Charity looks at a rebuke or at a wrong and say, okay, I want to change my tactic a little bit next time. How can I get the gospel in this way? And we do. Let me encourage you, church, that we need to keep telling people the gospel until they unequivocally say, don't you ever come to me again. Keep going. Keep telling them. Keep loving them with Scripture. That's why we go over and over again to someone. Encouraging them with the truth of God. Because charity never fails. It doesn't stop. It continues to love. And even if they say, don't you ever come to me again, we can still put them on our prayer list and still pray it doesn't end it continues to find a way love finds a way it never fails love is fruitful may i encourage you this morning that the love of that the godly love of action that charity makes an impact it might not be tomorrow it might be next might not be next year It might take decades, but love, godly love, does make an impact. May I encourage you to decide to love this morning in a way in which this world is hungry for. A godly love. It's the greatest thing in the world. May I encourage you this morning to love like God.